You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. So uh, we titled today's service, No Hard Feelings. And we're going to get there in a little bit, why there's no hard feelings. But before we can get there, we have to be honest with ourselves that things are not all that good and there's a lot of brokenness around and we contribute to it in our own ways. So um, I'm not sure what you thought you might be hearing this morning, but (coughs) (coughs) excuse me, Uh, let's talk about sin. So um, these passages of scripture, you know, Jesus is talking about sinners, and Paul's talking about being a sinner. The, the Old Testament passages, which, which were not read today, um, I'm not going to read them all, but I do want to read just a little bit. Like, I want to let you know what Jeremiah had to say. Listen carefully. This is Jeremiah chapter 4. At that time it will be said to this people and to Jerusalem, a hot wind comes uh, from me out of the bare heights in the desert toward my poor people. Not to win or cleanse, a wind too strong for that. Now it is I who speak in judgment against them. For my people are foolish. They do not know me. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil. And they do not know how to do good. Welcome. (laughs) You are skilled in doing evil and you don't know how to do good. Like, why didn't we just open up with that with a call to worship? <laughs> yeah, great. So there's another psalm that gets paired with Jeremiah. We, we read the psalm, was it 51, 52? I'm not sure. But there's another psalm that gets paired with it. It's Psalm 14. I'm not going to read the whole psalm. But it has the same sentiment that we heard from Jeremiah. So listen to this. This is for you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. And there is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on humankind to see if there are any who are wise and who seek after God. They have all gone astray. And they are, like, they are all alike, perverse. There is no one who does good, no, not one. Have, uh, have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? Thanks. <laughs> That's a hard way to start, I think. But it's, it's a helpful way to start. It's like, like Paul says, when he, when he goes down that list of things that he used to do and how he used to kind of embrace violence as a way of being in the world, that, um, that there's this kind of whole litany of sins that he himself was guilty of. And to quote the King James, I forget how the NRSV uh, translated it just now, but uh, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. So <clears throat> either Paul's a bit full of it, and he's kind of, he's kind of trying to rhetorically persuade us, or he really has had a revelation of the goodness of God, of the, of the truth of grace, 
and he has stepped out of the darkness into the light. And as he stepped into the light, amongst the things he can now see that he couldn't see before was just how broken he was, how corrupt he was. Sometimes in our sin, we are ignorant. Paul even says that, right? In my ignorance, I did all of these things. But coming to faith is coming to knowledge. Coming to faith is coming to light. Coming to faith is kind of knowing truly who we are and seeing who we are in relationship to who God is. Which is why St. Augustine would say to his congregation as they celebrated communion, right? Behold what you are, but become what you receive. Because our God is not at all going to kind of leave us in this kind of broken reality that we find ourselves in. Now, I think on the one hand, it might be easiest to identify brokenness when we look outward, right? Like, how many of you have had something done wrong to you before, right? That's pretty easy to admit, right? Yeah, I've been wronged. Everybody feels like they've been wronged. But the, the, to kind of flip that around, how, how many of you have wronged someone else, right? So we're, we're both the recipients of wrongdoing and we are the perpetrators of wrongdoing. And so that kind of leaves us in this spot where we need salvation. We need healing. We need deliverance. We're kind of bound into this kind of broken reality and we trust in one who can kind of make things right. So what's interesting about that Jeremiah passage, which I thought was so harsh, like, all, all of you are bad. <laughs> and, and the psalmist is like, none of you do good. That the Pharisees, when they saw Jesus and the, the sinners and the tax collectors kind of, kind of clumping up around Jesus, they cried foul. They're like, why is he with those people? So instead of saying... We are those people, right? If instead of saying we are also ones who participate in the brokenness of the world and we kind of contribute to the problem, they saw themselves as something other than. So that Jesus had to tell these parables, parables that are pretty short and fairly straightforward. Somebody has a hundred sheep, one gets lost, we leave the 99, and we go find the lost sheep. We don't say, well, too bad, sorry, guess you'll die, sheep. But here's the thing. I mean, we sang about it, right, just a minute ago. He leaves the 99. And the, the woman who had the 10 coins, if she loses a coin, she doesn't just say, oh, well, I lost a coin. She searches for it and searches for it. And then both of them, both the shepherd who has found the one lost sheep and the woman who has found the one lost coin, when they find it, they're ready to celebrate. They're ready, they, they have an expectation that others will be happy about what has happened. Which is exactly what a Christian worship service is about. There's, there, this is intended to be a celebration. Like, you know, during the season of Lent, we fast. We fast things. We set things aside. We say that Lent is for 40 days um, from Ash Wednesday up until Easter Sunday, but it's actually 46 days. Because during Lent, the time of fasting, we don't count Sundays. Because Sundays are not fasting days. 
you don't fast on Sundays, you feast on Sundays. Sunday is a feast day because Sunday is a celebration day. And what we're celebrating is the resurrection. We're celebrating the new life. Right? And that's, that's a good thing. And there's a practice in it. So <clears throat> when we come together, we don't always do this, but we do it uh, now and then. We will um, collectively say a confession, which is a pretty ancient practice. So instead of just you know, giving everybody some time to, to think about you know, what have I done this last week or two or three that I need to seek forgiveness for, but kind of collectively, what have we participated in? What have we benefited from? And so we say, most merciful God, um, forgive us. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourself. Forgive us for what we have done and forgive us for what we have left undone. I think that's pretty interesting, right? We're not just asking for forgiveness for things that we've done. We're also asking for things, forgiveness that we have left undone, right? There are, there are sins that are committed that are about the neglect of the needy, the neglect of the poor, the neglect of injustice, right? That too is a sin. And what I love about that confession, I mean, it ends with, for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us so that we may walk in your ways and delight in your paths to the glory of your will. Amen, right? But what I love, one of the things I love about that is the uh, collective statement. Most merciful God, forgive us for what we have done. The same thing happens in the Lord's Prayer, right? The Lord's Prayer is in the first person plural. Um, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. So in some ways, those prayers are petitions. We're asking for something. But because it's always in the first person plural, it's not just a petition. It's not reducible to just a petition. It's also an intercession. Because I'm not just praying for me when I make those prayers. And I'm not just confessing for me when I make that confession. I'm, I am part of us praying for us. And when you all pray those prayers too, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, if, unless you change it and make it the first person singular, which is not what the Lord taught, um, just go ahead and go with what the Lord taught. He, he taught us, right, to say our Father, right, not my Father. And, and the way that plays out, I think in, in Paul, if we can draw a line between Jesus' parables about the one lost sheep and the one lost coin, and you draw a line to Paul late in life writing to Timothy, who's pastoring in Ephesus, um, when Paul kind of talks about himself, and what he's done, and the grace that he has received, and how he knows, not just in his head, but in his heart, and maybe not even just in his heart, but in his body, right, that the Lord is good, and that forgiveness is real, and that it can, it can be a transformative power, and he says those things. I think, in a lot of ways, Paul is the one lost sheep, right? He is the one lost coin. He is the one who was lost and was found by Christ. And now he knows that. And he's ready to um, offer that to um, his um, disciple, right? Timothy. And he wants Timothy as a pastor to kind of then offer that to the church there in Ephesus. There's something about forgiveness 
it's really remarkable. Um, obviously, we all need forgiveness from God. And, and we say this a lot when we come to the table. We talk about receiving God's forgiveness, but then becoming people of forgiveness. But forgiving, which is, is the only kind of requirement for forgiveness, right? Jesus says, um, when you say to this mountain, be thy removed and cast into the sea, you'll have what you ask for. And when you stand asking for forgiveness, you forgive anything that anyone has done to you, and our Father in heaven will forgive you. So is that just some kind of transaction, right? Right. There's certain requirements we have to do, and God's not going to reach out until we do. Not exactly. It's not so transactional as you might think. I think it's more like this, that forgiveness, when we forgive, it's not just good for us, right? Excuse me. It's not just good for them. I got that wrong. When we forgive, it's not just good for the one that's being forgiven, there, there is a residual effect. Forgiving the other is also good for us. It, it unties us from the, the, it detangles us from the damage that was done in whatever it is we're forgiving. Like, it's really important, I think, that the, the, the calculus of the, of the kingdom works like this, and, it, and it's actually good for us that we need forgiveness, and as we forgive, not only are we acting like God, who is a forgiver, but we ourselves are benefiting from the fact that we do forgive. It's powerful. There's a, there's a film uh, called The Interpreter. It's, it's kind of old now. It's uh, Sean Penn and, and Nicole Kidman. And in it, there's this scene where they talk about kind of the power of forgiveness, I want us to watch this clip, and then I'll be right back. What are you not telling me? What are you accusing me of? How do you feel about Sawani? Never mind, I don't care for him. I feel disappointment. That's a lover's word. What about rage? Of all the people that I've looked into since this thing started, the one with the darkest Zuwani history is you. It was his landmines that killed you. Shh. We don't name the dead. Everyone who loses somebody wants revenge on someone on God if they can't find anyone else. But in Africa, in Matopo, the coup believe that the only way to end grief is to save a life. If someone is murdered, a year of mourning ends with a ritual that we call the drowning mantra. There's an all-night party beside a river. At dawn, the killer is put in a boat, he's taken out on the water, and he's dropped. He's bound so that he can't swim. The family of the dead then has to make a choice. They can let him drown or they can swim out and save him. The coup believe that if the family lets the killer drown, they'll have justice but spend the rest of their lives in mourning. But if they save him, if they admit that life isn't always just, 
That very act can take away their sorrow. Vengeance is a lazy form of grief. I love that line, uh, vengeance is a lazy form of grief. Right? If you let the person drown, you'll have justice. But your grief will kind of stay with you. But if you save them, if, if you offer them forgiveness, then something else gets kind of unlocked in us. I wish I could, I wish I could be, somehow say this better than what I'm saying today. Sin is bad because it does damage to people in God's creation. But God's not so much bothered by it like it's some difficult thing to deal with, right? God can forgive sin, and God can judge sin in God's own kind of unique way where his justice can restore, not just punish. Like, I love what G.K. Chesterton says when he says, we have sinned and grown old, but our father is younger than we. Right? God's, God's not so bothered by these things. God's gone through a lot. I mean, Jesus went through a lot to provide forgiveness. So when we kind of struggle with forgiveness and we're not ready to receive it and we're kind of slow to give it, right? We're kind of taking advantage of the life and the sacrifice of Christ. Because all of that was done so that we could have this. God's love and God's mercy and God's grace and God's forgiveness is relentlessly, relentlessly coming after us. Both to save us, to rescue us, to, to heal us. So in the East, the, the Eastern Christian theologians talk about sin more like sickness. Like sin is something we are healed from. It's not just something that we are saved from. Because sin, when it's allowed to run its course, produces death. But Jesus came to overcome sin and in so also overcome death. And not just overcome the final death, which I think he does, right? In the resurrection and in the future. But also overcome all those little deaths that we experience. The, the death by a thousand cuts. When we, we hold on to old grudges or we, we um, receive offenses so, so easily. And we, we hold on to offenses so tightly. Like, he came to forgive. He celebrates the forgiveness and the redemption that comes. And so Paul tells us, all we have to do is confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, and we'll be saved. There's something interesting that's missing in that Romans 10, 9, and 10. Confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. Do you realize we do that every week at the, at the table? When I say, let's all confess together the mystery of the faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Right? The, those, those words, if we actually say them, and then if we not just say them with our mouths, but if we believe them in our hearts, that's, that's what it means to kind of Start the journey of following Christ. That's, that's, that's what this is about. And so God, again, 
has gone, kind of gone through these things. And mostly what he wants you to know is that he's never going to leave you or forsake you. Whether you are just the one, he's going to pursue you because he loves you. And once he gets you, all he wants is for you then to be like him, one who loves and forgives and seeks to live in this life kind of in that way. And I think that's exactly, my friends, what our families need. It's what our workplaces need. It's what our schools need. It's what our culture needs. This whole series that we're doing is called The Common Good. And we work towards the common good when we first receive the forgiveness that Jesus is offering us. And then, having received his forgiveness, I want you to think about this kind of like spatially, not just abstractly. Like, receive forgiveness, like it's something being handed to you. Receive the forgiveness. Now you have the forgiveness of Jesus. What are you going to do with it? You're going to share it. Right? You're going to give it away. And that's how more people can have this. It's the love. It's the love of Christ. No hard feelings. <laughs> we've, we've gone through enough, God says. So there's no, there's no hard feelings. Receive the forgiveness. Follow me. Right? Confess it with your mouth and believe in your heart. And become my disciples. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.